Hi guys, and welcome to another episode and another way to approach ecolution. I'm someone who became passionate about climate action in the past two years. And I'm not alone in saying that one person's action was at the centre of my waking up to it. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Greta Thunberg sat in front of the Swedish parliament alone in August 2018. She held a homemade sign saying, School strike for climate. School strike for climate. Less than two years later, she's an internationally recognised figure. Her speech in front of the UN has sparked millions to respond. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? Some are furious at her message. There are world leaders who ridicule her on social media, denying that what she says is true. But her lonely protest inspired so many of us to join her. In Ireland alone, there are multiple organisations that responded. I'm part of the Schools Climate Action Network and I'm proud to take part in planning protests on a regular basis. Ecolution was begun as a direct response to young people having their voice heard. We will not let you get away with this. Right here, right now, is where we draw the line. The world is waking up, and change is coming, whether you like it or not. Thank you. We are starting into a new year, and a new decade. One that we know is going to offer change, good and bad. We thought that it was a very good opportunity to reflect on where protest is going among the young people of Ireland. So. Today we've gathered a number of different students to discuss the state of play and see what we think will happen next. Hi, I'm Marin and I'm 18 years old and I've been a part of ECO UNESCO's Youth for Sustainable Development programme and an environmental activist for nearly three years now. Hi, I'm Kian Perry. Uh, I'm a sixth year student uh, and I've been involved with the school's Climate Action Network since it was founded in the run-up to the March 15th climate strike. Let's start with Greta Thunberg as a figurehead. How do you each feel about what she started and how she protests? From my perspective, what I think made Greta Thunberg, you know, kind of an international phenomenon or what about her her tactic created the biggest climate protest movement we've seen thus far. You know, we get a lot of talk when it comes to the subject of climate change about how, you know, we need to recycle more, we need to change our light bulbs, you know, we need to just do these steps and you know we're making progress or it'll be some a scientist going on about statistics but I think what Greta Thunberg did was is that she said no hang on a minute we're in the midst of the biggest crisis the human race has ever faced our world leaders have got 12 years to make such drastic change why aren't we striking about this I definitely agree with Keen in the fact that like yes there were people doing environmentalism doing activism before Greta but she was kind of the environmental messiah the world didn't know it needed like she put environmentalism and climate issues on a scale we'd never seen it before I feel the media were trying to politicize climate change and try and make it something that only the government would deal with. But Greta did the opposite. She kind of made it more accessible and that everyday people could understand what was going on. Kind of like the phrases, your house is on fire, how dare you, things like that. It makes it more accessible for everyday people. It makes it more accessible for young people. And that gives more people opportunities to make a difference every day. Greta Thunberg inspired so many people and she delivers a good message. 
It's amazing what she has started and to see that on a global scale, it's pretty impressive. She was the one who started this movement. This movement is the biggest one we've ever seen before. I'm not really going to be asking questions going, well, is she exactly the right person? Clearly, she has been. Moran, you got a chance to see Greta speak. How did that happen? Um, well, like I said, I'm a member of ECO UNESCO's Youth for Sustainable Development programme and through that I get a lot of opportunities to go to conferences, meet with politicians, have conversations with change makers. And so I got asked if I would like to be part of the Irish youth delegation to go to COP25 in Madrid. We're in for our listeners that don't know, what is COP25? COP25 is a yearly meeting of world leaders and it's kind of based around the Paris Agreement. So world leaders coming together to discuss the problems with climate change, what each and every country needs to do and what progress the world is having. And it's held uh, every December. From an activist standpoint, I don't think it was very successful. Like, to quote Greta, world leaders spent more time arguing over petty things like subheadings and where brackets should go and different itty-bitty like details rather than the bigger issues of we need to cut our carbon emissions, we need to get rid of single-use plastics. There's people that are suffering because of climate issues and they want to argue over small things like this. So on an activism point of view, it was quite disappointing. And also the fact that I would have liked to see more young people and more activists given a platform to speak because... I really do believe that adults and policymakers, they do want to hear what young people have to say. But if they're not given those opportunities, it's not going to happen. Like you can't just expect their words and their opinions to come out of nowhere. You need to give people the space to share their opinions. And I don't think that was done. It was good that there was young people there. And it was really amazing to see that the countries we see is like the big bad guys, China, India, stuff like that. They are actually trying, you know, they're trying their best. They're making strides. And it was good to see that people are trying. It's not like an argument anymore. We've all come to the conclusion, yes, climate change is here. It's happening. It's bad. And countries are actually doing something to stop it. You said that essentially politicians were arguing over subheadings committees because I think, you know, we've had a clear succession of Kyoto, COP21, all these various environmental conferences where people have been flown around the world and it has achieved very little. You know, carbon emissions grew by 2.5% last year uh, and I think what actually achieves change is protest and actual active struggle, active rebellion and I think, you know, history will show you that that is what changes. So it is about us uniting together and uh, and rebelling and protesting that actually will, uh, has achieved much more change than meetings and committees and international conferences. How did the forum work? How were you invited and what happened? So I was at COP on a government badge, so I was given access to more talks and more conferences than activists would have been. So I feel if there was more flow, if a young person had something to say that they were able to say if they'd an issue, not even a young person, if they could go look, I've noticed that X, Y and Z is happening and I'm not happy about it. But it was very much a, you're a guest here, so sit down and enjoy the talks we've prepared for you. 
What were some of the highlights of what you heard and saw? Well, I sat in on a talk between Mary Robinson and a guy called Theo, who uh, does a lot of work with UNICEF. And himself and Mary Robinson set up a dialogue between some young people from around the world and also ministers from their countries. Yes, it was structured, but at the same time, it was more of a conversation. So the young person would present a problem and then ask the politician what they would do about that problem in their country. And the politicians, the ministers answered truthfully and very well. And it was good to see that in that situation, they did want to hear what the young people had to say. It made me feel very proud that that was organised by Mary Robinson, who is one of the past presidents of Ireland. So it was very much a kind of a patriotic thing. Like it felt good to be in that room that was kind of organised by Irish people and there was people speaking and everything. How was Greta allowed to speak at that? She had quite a few panels there because COP25, like it was kind of her thing. Like everyone wanted to hear what she had to say. Like I'm sure if she was more than one person and she was able to be in 20 places at once, they would have had her there. I guess she's probably the most famous environmental youth activist there is so everyone wants to hear what she has to say everyone wants to be able to talk to her and get a sense of what she's thinking it was good that if not every young person had a voice there at least Greta did and at least other young people did Climate change is an international problem. Do you think there's enough collaboration? I don't know what type of international collaboration really exists. Now, I'm sure you could point out plenty of instances of where, you know, countries have worked together to solve issue X or issue Y. But look at the United States. The organisation in the world that has the biggest carbon emissions is the United States military. It has a budget of $600 billion every year. Now, it's pretty hard to say how there's international collaboration when the US has polluting factories, polluting aeroplanes, polluting jets, polluting missiles, all to exist only to kill people. And I think that's an unfortunate truth. And why where there is international collaboration is among activists and among young people and among grassroots protests. That's where the international collaboration is. Could you talk a little bit about that? We all know, look, over the, in 2019, we went from a situation where there hadn't been many very big protests on Climate change, certainly not on a sustained international level. It would be on this issue or that issue. And then, you know, in March 2019, we saw... How many people was it on the streets? 600,000, I think. You know, we saw up to 6 million on the streets in September. We've seen protests, strikes, weekly strikes. The profile that's raised in the media, even here. Can you explain about greenwashing? So greenwashing is a problem where those who pollute in society, so those who kind of create high polluting products or resided over terrible environmental decisions recognize that people think about climate change a lot and are angry about the dangers both to their personal lives and the dangers to to obviously billions of people around the world so they try to advertise their plastic bottle or their you know bag of wipes or their government policies as being inherently good for the environment as being you know climate friendly by saying stuff like oh this is a green product this is an eco product this is an organic product when in reality when you do the investigation you actually find that this isn't the truth at all and this has a really bad effect because it makes people feel you know when you go into zone stores jesus i'm buying environmental everything everything has a little eco label on my product but in actual fact it's it's devastating for the environment so that's what greenwashing is and it's an important problem in the world today Kids that go out shopping with their parents have a certain amount of power over what they buy for their house. Can you give some advice to people that might be a bit confused 
about products and how environmentally friendly they are. Yeah, I'd say keep it simple. Like you don't need to overload yourself with information and keep thinking, oh, this is bad and this is bad and this is bad. If you just stick to a few kind of simple rules like palm oil, if you can keep away from that as much as possible, that's already making a huge difference. When your mom or your dad is buying fruit and vegetables and you see a plastic free option or a plastic option, obviously it makes more sense to go for the plastic free option. You say, look, mom, Um, they have the same exact fruit or vegetable in a plastic free option maybe we could buy that and yes due to like what Kian was saying about greenwashing supermarkets and stuff like that will make the plastic wrapped version cheaper which doesn't make sense but it happens but if you even say look ma'am it's only a few extra cents can we please just get the plastic free version that makes a huge difference and you'd be amazed at the amount of change that you can make just being one young person. Yeah, I think it's really important that kids pay attention when they are out shopping with their parents. Kids have a certain amount of power and that also another point is that we really do need to be buying Irish. Locally sourced produce and locally sourced goods will help us solve our problems because if you think about it, a product that's coming from farther away has to come on a boat or a plane to get here and that's releasing carbon. Whereas if it comes from Ireland, it's coming from a shorter distance and there's less carbon released. That's a pretty simple way as well to reduce our carbon emissions and cut down our carbon footprints. Although... Richard Bruton did say in our live evolution that we can't promote that in Ireland, unfortunately, due to our membership of the European Union. Yes, you guys are both right. And I'd add to that, you know, if you come in maybe with some pre-prepared Tupperware, you can actually take the plastic off in the shop and leave in the plastic and say, look what you're doing. You know, you look at the effect you're having. But secondly, I'd also add that it is much more important that you participate in protests, that you participate uh, in different collective actions then you beat yourself up over what you buy in the shop because ultimately you will buy plastic products and you will buy products that come from different countries simply because there isn't the options there. You go to a supermarket and nearly all the products will have some various problems. There's a brilliant impact of not buying plastic bottles, not buying unnecessarily plastic wrapped peppers or whatever nonsense they have. But think of how much of a difference it is if the government bans single-use plastics. Again, the consumer boycott campaign has been going on for 25 years and it's had, you know, whatever this level of impact and the protest movement has been going on for a year and it's had, I I think, a greater impact. So myself, I'm with SCAN... Keen, you're the same, and we're in you're with Eco Unesco. There's a lot of groups out there. We all have the same goal, but our methods might be different. Could you elaborate more on that? It's always the million dollar question when it comes to why is there so many different organisations in any level of politics, whether it's youth environmentalism all the way to housing activists. There's so many different groups with lots of different strategies, lots of different people, and there's you know separate stories how to each of them emerged. However, I can say that all the ones who are specifically concerned with youth protests are all on good terms. We all cooperate, we all coordinate the protests together and do different roles. There's no animosity between, you know, oh, oh, we're the, the glorious leaders of this movement or, or we're not. We all have the same thought process. We all know what we want. It's just that every group thinks that their idea is the right idea and it's just kind of finding the balance between, well, if we protest this but we negotiate this, maybe we could get more done instead of kind of saying oh, well, protesting is this way to go, but dialogue with politicians is this way to go. Like you said, you two are more on the activist side and I, well, not a lot of experience, but I've experienced kind of on the politics side of things. But that's what politicians are trying to do is kind of bring 
more protesters in. I know it's not the perfect solution and everyone wants to achieve the same thing with different ideas, but it's very much about kind of communicating with each other, communicating what we actually want to get done because I noticed one group wants to stop ocean pollution, one group wants to put the sustainable development goals into the education system, one group wants to cut carbon emissions. So I feel if protesters and youth activists had one collective message or one collective goal then I think we could work a lot stronger but a lot smarter as well. I do think that we all have different methods and different principles but overall it's the same goal and I think that goes across internationally like I think we just have different ways and different methods of doing that and getting that out there. In Ireland and the UK Extinction Rebellion seems to be one of the most visible approaches towards this problem. How do both of you feel about their methods and how they go against this problem? No, I think the actions that Extinction Rebellion have done have been fantastic, I think. They actually put the question to power. They say, we're blocking a road until there is actual action on this issue. Uh, And, you know, we've seen occupations, we've seen walkouts, we've seen that all throughout history. And I'm telling you, that's what puts the pressure on the powers that be. And I think the Extinction Rebellion should keep it up. I personally haven't had that much interaction with Extinction Rebellion, but I do admire what they're doing. Like Kian said, it's action. It's not talking. It's not dilly-dallying about what we might or mightn't do. They're out on the streets and they're making a difference. They prove to me or they kind of remind me that civil disobedience, which is kind of going against what the government wants you to do but in a legal way it kind of reminded me that civil disobedience it does work and it is a way to go in achieving what you want to get if you think about all the achievements of the 20th century you know from kind of civil rights in northern ireland our own countries and you know ireland's independence from britain or you know Uh, the end of apartheid, all sorts of different movements, they took civil disobedience. And so if the only way we could deal with issues that big was by civil disobedience, well, if we're dealing with an issue even bigger, such as climate breakdown, we're going to need civil disobedience. How can an eight-year-old be civilly disobedient? Because it's a big thing, you know, it's a big prospect for young people to be involved in something like that. Uh, Look, I mean, I would say to anyone, don't feel yourself that you need to go starting a massive revolution and organising, you know, riots against the government. It's not that. But if there's a protest, if there's a stand up, Look, your principal won't say do it, but I say do it. And that's, and that's a matter of, I'm speaking to you as a peer, join the protest, join it, because this issue has to be dealt with. And if it's not, it's going to be at the cost of our lives. I just think keep an eye out for strikes and just join us. They are for everybody. They're for all ages, from young to old. I think everybody is welcome and everybody should get involved. I completely agree. You know, if there's a protest on the street, get out there, get your voice heard, get your point of view heard. But at the same time, it's important to know what you're protesting for. So just because you see people kind of shouting and screaming about an issue that they care about, don't just join on because they're the ones that are being heard. If you care about turtles, protest about turtles. If you care about the amount of methane released by cows, you go and protest that. But the most important thing, in my opinion, is kind of to educate yourself on the issues that you find most important. For me, it was kind of a lack of education and a lack of understanding between everyday people and what was going on, you know, people not knowing how to dispose of waste properly. So I educated myself on that so that I can then educate other people. So you can protest as much as you like, but if you don't understand what you're protesting about, 
about, what's the point? Does protest feel like a struggle or is it natural? I think that it's hard and sometimes it does feel like what we are saying is falling on deaf ears, but we do need to persevere. We can't stop and we won't stop. Although we are a nation that cares about this and a nation that recognises this, even though we have recognised it, we haven't acted upon it. The Climate Action Plan hasn't changed. It stayed the same. We're going to stay here. We're going to be up and at it until our futures are protected. Look, I'm not going to lie. Protests don't organise themselves. They take they take sweat. They take yeah, work. They, they, do, take, they take. They don't happen naturally. But on the other hand, I think in any in any crisis, in any injustice, there will someone will organise that protest, someone will put in that work and, and people will join and, and whether it's successful is over whether it has the tactics or the numbers behind it. And the urgency is bad and of course no real change of, of any significant measure has been of, has been made yet. But protest movements, we don't achieve our success step by step. What will happen is, is there'll become a point when the government will no longer be able to govern continuing the policies it does and things will change on a massive scale. It does get hard to kind of keep going sometimes because you feel you're speaking to a brick wall but then you get kind of small glimpses of hope like you hear about the peat plants being shut down and new legislation about electric cars being put in and that kind of makes it all worth doing when you hear about those things and you can be like okay that's one thing ticked off the list and yes they're only small things and they are baby steps, but baby steps often lead to huge steps and huge kind of moves for the future. So if anyone's kind of worried about like, oh, I want to protest, but like I'm afraid of not being heard. Someone's listening. That would probably be my biggest thing. Someone is listening and someone's kind of wondering or trying to think of a way how to help and make a change based on what you're saying. Ecolution. What's your personal priority for the next year in terms of climate action? Merwin, would you like to tell us yours? I want to kind of get into the government more. I want to tell them, look, this is what young people want. We're sick of being told, no, we're not yet or we'll get around to it. We want it to happen and we want it to happen now. Yes, you're giving us a platform, but it's time to take what you're hearing and put it into action. What I actually, or what, you know, I, I think should be done is, again, building the movement, making the numbers stronger. You know, you, you talked, Mwiran, about, you know, negotiating, about actually confronting the government. Well, you only ever have power in negotiation when you have people on the streets. And that's and that's why it's just people on the streets, their consciousness being raised is about numbers, anger, action. That's, I think, the next year and the next decade. My personal priority is just keep going till there's an actual change made. In our live episode, Mr. Bruton said it was down to individuals and small enterprises to make a change themselves and that each country has a different plan. Like if you look at Ireland, the UK, and when we're doing that, we're not having a focused effort and we're not reaching one target together. We're reaching them at different stages and different people are making them. So you don't, it's very, very, very difficult to keep track of. And there's very little collaboration. This is ridiculous. Like, there is a problem and everybody knows about it. The government know about it and still they just keep going with their same old plan that really does us no good. It's 2020 and it's a big decade because we were given 12 years a couple of years ago, which is now turned into 10, which it being 2030. How do you feel about the coming decade? I wouldn't want to label myself pessimistic about it because I think the most dangerous thing we can do is make people feel that it's too late because then it is too late. And then we are genuinely facing a very, very scary future and a future that I don't want to think about. I don't want to think about having kids in. I don't want to think about having a job in. But at the same time, as optimist as I am, 
when I look at the spirit of protests, of action and rebellion, I do recognise the impending disaster that we're facing and that, and that, you know, what often doesn't get mentioned when we talk about climate breakdown is the decline of insects. And we need insects to pollinate all the different flowers to keep agriculture going. So without any insects, we won't have any food or we won't have sufficient food. However, the actual mass of insects has been declining by 2.5% a year. That's facing a situation whereby 2100, we won't have any insects. In China, they don't have enough insects already. So what they've done is is that they've gone and hired new workers. And their job is to do what bees did, which is to take seeds from flower to flower to spread them to ensure that they grow. Now, if we're on the current path, that's going to be the jobs of the future. Water, food will be scarce and we'll be working jobs like then. If we go on a radically different path, which is very separate from what the government climate action plan, what any of those COP plans are, there is a chance that we can transform the world into being a much better place and a much fairer society. I think it's our decade and we choose what we do with it. I think the next decade, it has the potential to be scary. It has the potential to go wrong and to not go in the direction we want. But it also has the potential to be not just life-changing, but kind of change the path for humans. We have the power to stop climate change. We know we have the power. We have the money. Believe it or not, every country is well within their means to stop climate change. So I think it's about governments and countries and their people finally going, okay, this isn't, you know, an issue for hippies anymore. This isn't an issue for activists that want to block roads. This is an actual issue that's affecting us and we need to stop it now. A few years ago, if you even mentioned the word climate change, you were called a hippie, you were called a freak and a weirdo. Oh, you know, in Donald Trump's word, climate change was made up by the Chinese. And now it's completely changed. Like people went from being called hippies to being kind of cool, being climate activists and protesting. That's cool now. Like who ever would have thought that? So that's kind of what gives me hope is that if you can go from people being pushed away by society because they believe in climate change to being the people we're listening to and the people we go for to say, okay, what can we do to stop this? I think if we can make that huge jump, we can stop climate change or decrease the problems associated with it but that can't come without people working together and without countries working together and actual action versus just words. How do you think Ireland will look in 2030? It's hard to say. Certainly there's hopeful signs of course the people's increasing consciousness over not only issues around climate change, sorry, but also around, you know, broader justice issues around homelessness has the potential to make Ireland a much fairer society. And I think what will tell how Ireland will look is is who gets elected in the next elections, how big are protests coming in the next decade. But at the same time, you know, there's a potential that both ecologically and economically Ireland will be in a much worse place than it is today from irresponsibility from lack of foreseeing into the future stuff as simple as coffee and grapes are now getting harder and harder to grow chocolate different things so we may see in Ireland 2030 without chocolate without grapes without coffee without all these basic products that we just expect to see every day actually will be gone or or prohibitively expensive I completely agree with that and I personally believe at the moment the simple action is communication I think that's the best course to get everybody on board we can still get there do you have any final thoughts, tips or feelings about the environment at this time? If, if you find yourself probably with reason, <laughs> with good reason, worried and anxious about events that could be happening in, in, in both the world's future and your personal future, 
Express that worry through anger. Be angry, be active and be ready for change. A lot of news stories and things that the media are reporting can seem quite scary and quite intimidating, especially to young people where they feel they don't have the power to change these things. And I'd say to any young people listening, don't let that stop you. If you want to protest, if you want to join a a movement or you want to become an activist and you want to make a change, I'd say go for it because if we get a domino effect of people deciding they want to make change, you know, a government's going to have to listen to a whole country. Educate yourself, pick something that you're passionate about and that you want to make a change in and keep pushing that until it gets achieved and don't let anyone tell you that you won't make a difference because you will. It's a privilege to have gathered young people this passionate about the struggle in one room. If each of you choose to join us in whatever way you can, I think we can wake more people up. Get your school to join Green Schools. Start talking about it with your families, your teachers and your fellow students. Read all that you can. Make a difference. Let's try to turn a corner in 2020. It's our future, so let's save it. Evolution was produced by Nikki Coughlin for RTE Junior Radio.